Welcome to the Finding Backcountry Podcast with your host, Dustin Whitwer. I am Dustin Whitwer, and this is the Finding Backcountry Podcast. Follow along on my journey of learning from the best backcountry hunters each week as we explore valuable information I use to find success in the backcountry. Let's get to the show. This is the Finding Backcountry Podcast, episode 38. I have to check every time now. It seems silly to the listeners probably, but... I have to check every time I do a new episode now because I'm high enough that I, I forget where I'm at on the episode. So it's uh it's that's a good thing though. It's keeps keeps on rolling. So this morning, um I say that because I normally don't well, I've I've podcasted in the morning, but um I what I didn't do today is I was lazy and I didn't go work out. Um do you are you a gym guy, Sam? I am not. Not a gym guy. Yeah, yeah, well, you have. I've seen you. and You have that build like my brother, where you just like you guys are just built for the mountain, um, almost naturally. Kind of that that wiry. Uh, you kind of have that wiry frame where you just get up and down the hill. I'm sure. So that's a that's a nice way of saying scrawny. No, no, that's a nice way of saying fit. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I just have a love of food too much, honestly. So I, if I don't go to the gym, then it really gets out of hand. It's it's already. Anyway, so I didn't, but I didn't go this morning. Um, my wife and I went to, I'm, this is me hour. I'm going to tell a story about me for a sec before I introduce Sam. Um, we went to the Incredibles 2 last night. <laughs> so, it's kind of embarrassing now to say, but I don't care. Um, I, I love those kind of movies. And it was, so it was all right, but it was like the late showing and we are, we're typically kind of early to bed, um, early to rise people. And so anyway, it was the late showing last night and just got back late. And, and I, uh, yeah, I just, after having a podcast with Nick, the trainer, dude, I'm embarrassed. I hope he doesn't listen to this. Cause I was like, yeah, you just got to get up and go to the gym. And now here I am. So anyway, so I'm right there with you. Don't feel bad. Hey, <laughs> yeah. Perfect. More importantly, I have got. Sam McKeith on the line, and this is so I've had a few people, Sam, uh, throughout the the months here, or whatever, with this podcast, reach out and say, mention that they want people who aren't. How do I put this without? They want people who just aren't on the radar as much, who still get it done, and not that you're not on the radar because you have a social media account and stuff, but you just kind of you just kind of do your thing. And uh, I would say you do it relatively quietly, I, I guess, um, because you're you're I think you're a pretty humble guy, and you're not uh, anyway. So for those that are looking for a guy that just gets it done um, consistently and basically lives and breathes to hunt, I think um, I bring you Sam McKeith. How you doing, Sam? I'm doing well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, we uh, so Sam and I um, well. Tell, tell the people kind of where you're at and, and uh, what you do, and then I'll get into uh, kind of how we ran into each other. Uh, so I I work for Shield Sporting Goods. I live in Great Falls, Montana. I've been with them for about 12 years and bounced around the country a little bit. Started in 
Wisconsin, where I was born and raised, and spent a couple of years in Nevada before I got the opportunity to come to Montana. Moved up here about eight years ago now. So, were you uh, what were you just into whitetail hunting when you grew up? Yeah, whitetails and turkey <laughs> is about all we had for options. So, having hunted turkey and elk now, is turkey is turkey hunting the same as elk hunting? <laughs> um, I have not hunted a turkey since I left Wisconsin, and I hunt elk every year. No, it's not the same. If that tells you anything. Yeah. Turkeys are a lot nicer to get out of the mountains, so. though. Yeah, if nothing else, you can't say they're the same because there's, like, probably an 800-pound weight difference. And, yeah. So... Yeah, so um, but so you grew up whitetail guy. What uh, what intrigued you to move out west and just kind of was it was it work or was it something deeper? Or? Um, you know, the work was what allowed me to move, but it was you know the opportunity to you know chase the western game, uh, having a, a chance to hunt mule deer and elk and antelope. And living in Nevada was not the best one for an opportunity, but. Mm -hmm quality of the hunting was definitely very good when you can get a tag yeah see and that's that's interesting having uh, grown up in nevada my whole life um i moved away for you know eight or ten years here but then i've moved back and it's funny you say that because that's just how i thought hunting was meaning um when i was growing up and everything even back growing up when tags there was probably more tags and more deer or whatever um i don't know if there's more deer but um, we were just used to Nevada. We we're used to not drawing a tag every, except every maybe three to five years. And I just thought, you know, part of it was we were putting in for some of these premium units, but I just kind of thought that's how it was. And then I moved to Utah and people were just like throwing a fit over every single year, not drawing their tag <laughs> like every year and not just them, but they wanted everyone in their family to draw a tag. And they like, so you're, you're right. Nevada, it's like, uh, you know, it's, it's really good quality, um, lower, lower quantity of tags, which like you said, when you draw, it's kind of nice on most units. Cause you don't, you don't see a lot of people, right. When you're hunting in Nevada, I guess. Yep. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's good quality stuff, but it's, and it's big enough. You can get away from the few people that are in a lot of units. Well, that, that's the thing I was going to say too, about you is I know, I know how you hunt and it doesn't matter how many guys have a tag for an area you're going to get, um, because I've ran into you on hunts, you're, you're going to get back um, one mile further than the average, <laughs> even the average backcountry guy gets. And so yeah. what, uh, talk back up when you're kind of growing up, I'm just curious with guys like you that kind of Midwest and then move, who, who are some of the people, the hunters that you, did you have hunters that you looked up to um, that were like Western big guys growing up? You know, I follow a little bit of stuff, you know, Eastman stuff, South Cox, a lot of his stuff. Um, when I first started getting into the bow, uh, the backpacking side of things, I read Cameron Haynes' book and mm -hmm. didn't know any better. So I thought a bivy was the way to go for my first backpack hunt and quickly learned that it's not for me. <laughs> explain, <laughs> uh, just, explain what a bivy is to someone listening. Uh, a Gore-Tex bag, big enough for a sleeping bag, but three inches of space above your face to sleep and what uh what what were some, what were some of the i'm prodding here but what are some of the problems you had with it 
Um, so the first, first backpack trip I ever went on for a hunting trip, I was in the same area. I actually ran into you guys, mm-hmm. but it was 2009 ish. I think it's 2009. And it was, I was there for the opener or second week of season. I can't remember which it was, um, being on the, the side of the range around, you can't see a storm coming. And I got caught up on top and it was early, early August. And I get to spend a couple of days in rain and snow and nasty winds. And the only place I had to hide was inside a Gore-Tex bag, no tent to get out of it. And it was, yeah, it was a, a heck of an experience. It's like one of those things it's, it's because backpackers were always trying to push the weight envelope and it's like, that's yep. one of those weight that's, space. Yeah. And that's, it's worth it until it's not on that one. Yep. Um, <laughs> yeah. They're great until the weather goes bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. Gear, gear is one of those um, things I'd like to dive in with you just on, uh, and, and I hope, I hope we've done a good enough job kind of explaining your background there. We just kind of glazed over it. Um, it, it's interesting. Some people I'll, I'll tell them to talk about that and it'll be 20 minutes. And then other, others like you, it's like, Oh, I just, I moved from back East and I love to hunt out. And so what, yeah, that's <laughs> what more is there to say, you know? And I, I like that about you. You're just down to business, but what, uh, what is your, what is your pack just kind of off the cuff? What is, what is the main bulk of your gear list look like right now? Um, like what, if you were packing everything up, could you kind of rattle off your general gear list of, of at least the main, you know what I'm saying? Like your, yeah, your core yeah. items. Yeah. yeah. I've for a pack, I've run a stone glacier sky archer 6,200 for the last few years. Um, I love the pack hauls weight extremely well for how light of a pack it is. Um, tents depending on what, what I expect for weather, I've got a few different tents I bounce between. I've got an MSR carbon reflex for a lot of summertime scouting anymore. I don't use it too much for hunting after a couple of bad experiences. Hmm. Um, hunting stuff, if I'm going to be doing high country stuff, I've got a Haleberg solo that I started using. And then for late season stuff, I picked up a Kafaru Sawtooth this spring. So With the will, stove? Yeah, I will have heat <laughs> in the uh, cold weather now going forward. So, and, and I have a question on that, um, ha- having, uh, we just picked up, uh, the eight man, are you, I, I think, I think a lot of people see those and they assume that with those stoves that they're just going to have a nice cozy, um, fire, you know, they're going to throw in one or two big logs and they're going to have a nice cozy, <laughs> cozy fire all night. Are you running that more for heat all night or are you running that just more from, dark until bedtime to kind of warm up and dry your stuff out dark till bedtime and then getting dressed in the morning yeah. it just it doesn't burn long enough to keep you warm all night yeah. unless you're getting up every half hour 40 minutes to stoke the stove and it just it's not practical i'm what? i don't sleep a heck of a lot i'm kind of a five six hours a night guy <laughs> so i'll i usually don't go to bed right away so i'll sit up and feed the stove for a while before I had to bed. Yeah. What, uh, what size stove did you get? I got the 18 inch cylinder stove. Is that, I don't know the, is that a, like a medium? Um, for this, they do two sizes in the cylinder stove. I can't remember what the, what the smaller size is, but this is the bigger, the two cylinder stove. Okay. Yeah. But, but still even the bigger ones are, uh, 
yeah yeah we we found when i set that thing up the first night it, it was about a from completely stoked to basically cold it was you know a little over two hours of kind yeah. of burn down time so okay um and then on your tents too i'm curious on those one mans that you have what type of uh vestibule um space do you have and kind of how do you utilize that um on the msr it's a dual vestibule and it's enough room for it's really cozy i've used it with two guys before and it's super cozy it's a two-man tent um one guy i've got plenty of room between the two vestibules for all my gear packed bow or gun depending on what kind of hunt i'm on uh the hillberg gets pretty tight in the vestibule but i can kind of stack things and squeeze everything in there keep my boots outside and you get the, the smell down in the tent yeah um you do kind of that um what, what like you know how crawdads or whatever they'll bat they like back into their hole you know they tuck yep. their tail under and they like back into their hole and then they like oh, cover yeah. it with dirt that that's what a backcountry hunter looks like when he's oh, got yeah. a small little vestibule in a one-man tent at night you like it's this game of like okay i've got to have my pack close enough so that once i'm inside in my sleeping bag i can kind of reach over and slide my bag underneath but then i've also got to have my my bow or my my weapon close enough that I can yep. also grab that. And so, and then you've got all your, you know, your crap, you know, on the side, your, all your stuff on the inside. And so you kind of like, I kind of just like get to a certain height, like I'm going to the bathroom almost. And then I just plop down <laughs> and then I just kind of barrel roll in. Um, and then, yeah, you pull all your bag and, and then you're taking your, well, you take your boots off first and then you roll in and then you're setting your boots off and you're like pulling your bag and then setting your bow up on top of your bag. Does that sound about oh, yeah. how you do it? Yeah. Yeah. By the end, it looks like a bomb went off in a, in a hunting shop. <laughs> yeah. Are you, so are you an organized guy? Like inside, are you like, like Ziploc bags of food and like perfectly organized or is it just like, a like you said, a cluster in there? It's, I'm not super organized about it. I don't break it out by day. I've done it before for meals where I just break it out by day and bag everything and anymore. It's just, you know, grab enough stuff, throw it in one big Ziploc bag for like all my bars or daily snacks and throw all the, all the rest of my food in a big dry bag and dump it in the pack. Would you recommend though, for guys who, cause I, cause I, I totally get what you're saying and I, I know you know, I have enough experience that I could actually revert to that where I just say, okay, I know I need this much and I throw it in. I know and just and just dump it in one big thing. But do you think for guys that are just getting into it um, and learning how to backpack hunt that it would be beneficial that they separate their food into Ziploc bags? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I remember the first time I went on where five or six days, six or seven days I think it was, I was in and – pulled the plug and was heading out and I couldn't go. I couldn't walk 200 yards downhill without having to stop and take a break. I was just fried. I didn't know what was going on. So I sat down and ate two days worth of food and instantly I was better. I just, I didn't take in enough calories while I was climbing mountains and it, yeah. If you don't know what your body needs, I think you kind of have to, have to plan it out where are you at where are you at with calories um do you have that kind of ballparked in your head of what you need to ingest 
Yeah, I'm somewhere around 2,500 to 3,000 a day. I eat a lot. Yeah, I, you know, and I'm, I'm right there too. I'm actually, I, and I didn't know until I just counted up one of my bags um, a little while back, and I'm, it was right around 2,500. Um, when I was younger, 10 years ago, probably it was more like 3,000, probably, or, or even higher. Um, but the older I've gotten, I just, that and I think, um, do you get this way where you just, you find that the longer you do this, the more, how do I put this, more calculated um, expending of effort? You Like, you know, 10 years ago, I would have chased everything everywhere and just been up, down, up, down. Let's go. There's more deer. Let's go chase them. There's more deer. Let's go chase them. And now you're like, all right, let's just, let's just think about this for one second. Um, do you find yourself like calculating which stocks you're going to go on more and when you're going to spend energy? No, no, I'm pretty, I'm still pretty dumb. <laughs> if, I see, if I see something I want, I'm going for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I get. Cause I've seen the, the deer that you pulled out of the same unit and they're a step <laughs> above. So that's lesson learned. That's why I'm doing this podcast so I can learn. So yeah, I just, over the years, I've learned that if you if you worry about the consequences of shooting something something in a bad spot, a lot of times you're never going to shoot game. Yeah. No, that's and that's actually um, it's funny because J- Jason and I have that um, that mantra, and and apparently I don't stick to it, but it's uh, <laughs> it's it's don't don't think, just go because you're you're right. Like, and that's you know that's I I actually think there's a difference, you know, because you you listen. Um, you brought up South Cox. I've had him on and, or I haven't had him on, but I've, I've talked to him, um, in person. And then I've had, you know, multiple people that hunted with him and, and that guy, everyone that talks about him, um, is talks about how like, like calculated he is on when he's going to stock something. And it's a little different with him cause he's shooting a stick bow, you know, and he's got to really make it count. But, um, yeah, just just being able to, I, I I think it's a difference between what you're what you're saying and I understand is like, like if there's a buck and he's in a stockable spot, but it's up two thousand feet or down a huge canyon and over the next one and it's gonna, yeah, but it's gonna take me three hours to get like you don't think about that crap, you just go. Yeah, so yeah. if it's the one you want, it's hard enough to find one that, one that I'm willing to go after in a lot of cases that when you do find it you have to go because you especially hunting montana or some of those high pressure units where it's really really hard to find a big one if if you do find a big one you probably won't have another chance Hmm. yeah that's uh that's good advice um i didn't didn't mean to sidetrack you from your gear so Oh, no worries. Um, cause I, I really like hearing your gear list, but so you're, we, um, you got, you got your tents. Um, what, uh, what else is you, uh, what are you throwing in? Uh, sleeping bags, depending on what time of the year it is. Again, I, early season, I've got a Western mountaineering 30 degree bag. And then later in the year, I've got a zero degree marmot and then Neo air X therm sleeping pad, pretty much the, the whole season. Is that the one that's the uh, same one I have that's crinkly? kind of yeah the x therms the, the the more insulated version okay it's the gray one the yellow one's the x light ah, that's the one i have yeah yeah they're both they both make the same amount of noise but super comfortable for the weight and the x therm is way warmer 
we very actually, impressed with that pen. We actually found so, and again, I know I know that with your a gear junkie, maybe you've seen this too, but so those those X lights, um, Jason, my brother, he had the original one, uh, or he had that one from maybe five years ago or something. He bought. And those were extremely noisy. I mean, you almost couldn't, like, people around you couldn't sleep because if you mm-hmm. moved that thing, right? Like, crinkled and yeah. And we went in, we were in Colorado last year, a couple years ago, and my, my uh, pad was leaking or whatever. So we had to go into a shop there somewhere and buy one. And I bought the same one. And the lady at the, <laughs> the lady at the register, this is great sales tactics. She was trying to talk me out of buying that. And and, <laughs> and it was because of the noise. And she said, you know how noisy these are, right? Like, oh, you're not going to be able to sleep. You're going to want something else. I said, oh, well, my brother has one. And and his, what his did is it broke in after like a year of use. It, it got a little quieter. Yeah. So I, that's what I told her. And uh, anyway, but we got that thing out and they had actually switched. We found out later they had, they had changed, slightly changed the material and my brand new one out of the box was already quite more quiet than uh, than his had been after you know five years of using it. Um, so they've they've changed something there, and it's not it's really not bad at all. So yeah, I've been kicking around getting one of the lights just for early season stuff. Yeah, just to save a little bit of weight. Well, if the noise was a problem for you, I would recommend it. Um, from what we've seen now, because it's it's really not um, it's it's not an issue. No, most of my stuff anymore is solo, so I don't. I'll sleep through most of the noise of that stuff. <laughs> you don't care. Keeps the no. keeps the lions and bears away. Yep. <laughs> what uh, What's your threshold when you're deciding to throw in your zero degree or your thirty degree? And I know that sounds obvious, like well, it's going to be the temperature, but you can't always. Yeah. You can't look at the backcountry and say, well, it's not going to get below thirty degrees, so I'm going to, you know. So what kind of what time of year or what hunts do you decide when and when not to take one of those? I'll typically look at the forecast, you know, and if it's, if it's going to be down below 20, I'll start bringing the zero, zero degree bag down about 20. I can layer up with that 30 degree bag and be just fine. And when you say layering up, that's with your, uh, kind of your insulated gear from your clothes. Right. Yeah. We're either a heavy base layer or if it's in the top. If it's in the 20s, I can get away with a heavy base layer top and bottom and be fine. If it gets, I've been caught with it a couple times. Like last year on the inland, I had that unlimited sheep tag and got caught in some weather. And I was going to bed with a puffy coat and puffy pants on. And yeah, it was, yeah, it was chilly. And the other thing on those, we we've talked about those bags too. Is explain the difference between um, like the. <laughs> The temperature rating, like the comfort rating and the survival rating or whatever they call yeah. them. It's, yeah, survival rating is just that. It will keep you alive. It's not, <laughs> you're not going to be sleeping. There's going to be a fair amount of shivering going on. It's versus a comfort rating is, I don't know, comfortable, I guess. Yeah. Well, maybe the average person would, you know, comfortably sleep through the night probably. Right. Who knows? Yeah. Yep. And every everybody's a little different. I sleep pretty hot, so I, I can get away with a little bit less bag. Like I've run, I've run my zero degree bags down to ten or fifteen below and been fine. See, and I'm I'm the other way, um, and I've mentioned this before too. But I I only have right now I only have a zero degree. I actually just ordered the uh, Kafaru just came out with a couple um, sleeping bags, 
And I saw so, they had some launching new stuff. Yeah, so we got the um, we got the body bag they call it coming. It's the zippered one that I think is a God, I can't remember if it's a twenty five or a thirty, but um, anyway, until then I've been a I only take the zero degree bag. That's all I've ever had, and um, because I I sleep cold, I sleep you know, and I and so even on that that early season hunt that you know we ran into each other up there. I take that thing and I'll unzip that zero degree all the way and just use it as kind of a quilt. Um, and so, but yeah, so yeah. Um, okay. So you got your sleeping bag. Um, what else, what else are you throwing in there? There's really not um, binoculars. I've got uh Swaro EL 10 by fifties and then Swaro spotter, uh, angled 65 now from a few years back. Tripod. I just pack a little. Actually, it's a just a Vortex Summit SS. Kind of a, just a cheaper tripod, but it's lightweight. I had no complaints with it. It's, I've drug it all over the place, and it's held up and still pans fairly smooth. And I think it's just under two pounds, so it's not super heavy. With those binos, are you ever throwing them on a tripod and glassing with the binos off a tripod, or are they just kind of on your chest just for? Um, I'll balance them on a tripod, but I haven't. Uh, sent them off to get the uh, the adapter put in. What's placed down in Arizona? Yeah, the Outdoorsman's I think does one. Mm-hmm. Or they actually put that stud in them. I just procrastinate, and it's the only pair of binos I have, so I feel I need them all year round. So one of these years I'll send them in and get it done. I know the incentive programs you guys get at Shills, and so I'm sure that you you could, man, you could probably have ten pairs if you wanted. Uh, yeah, I could at least get them for cheap. Get them for cheap, yeah. <laughs> tag, it's that or tags. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I like tags. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, game changer, man. When you when you throw a pair of binos, even you know a, a ten power, which is relatively light to throw up on a tripod, man, it is. I I I can't believe it. Um, yeah, just it's especially for that some of that big country, um, you know that that we've hunted before. It's uh, man, it's awesome. You know yep. that that sixty five is is a really good. I think it's a really good lightweight, you know, backpacking scope. Um, but man, looking how long can you look through that thing with one eye? I don't have a problem with it. You're just can, one of those guys. Do you, do you are you like a cover your eye with your other hand? Do you have like a patch or what do you do there? I just kind of alternate. I'll cover it up. I'll close it. Most of my glassing for, as far as scanning is with binoculars. Yeah. And then kind of pick stuff apart that I see with binoculars with the spotter. Kind of the, the classic, the old school there. Yeah. Yep. All right. Um, what do you use for a rangefinder? Um, I've actually bounced between a couple different ones. I've got a Leica. Uh, I think it's a CRF 1000. It's a few years old. And then I won in a, a contest a couple of years ago, a Vortex 1500. And I've actually been pretty impressed with that one for the money. Yeah. That one's got the ballistic ranging where the Leica doesn't. Ballistic meaning it's throwing out like... Uh, angle compensation, I guess I should say. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Not like one of those, uh, what what is that G seven or something that crazy? Yeah, uh, yeah. no, no, <laughs> I am, I am not a long range rifle guy. 
You you do uh, you're not just exclusive archery though, right? You're uh, you pick up a rifle, right? What's yep. what's kind of your uh, where's your effective range stop at? Um, I'll shoot out to about five. That's about about my max. Yeah. And I grew up I grew up in a family of gun nuts and shot my entire life and been a reloader. Yeah, the place I lived when I first moved to Montana, I had a 500-yard rifle range in my backyard, so it was 40 yards from my reloading bench to the to the rifle bench. So I've been fortunate enough to do a lot of shooting over the years. Do you still do your own reloading? I do. What uh, what caliber? Um, a bunch. <laughs> um, new one I've been playing with. I've got a 6.5 300 Weatherby. I've been monkeying with. And, that's been the biggest one I've been playing with lately. I'm waiting. Uh, I'm waiting on the exact same gun to come back from uh, Weatherby. Hopefully, it should be any day now. Uh, but they're they're installing the muzzle brake and then sending that thing back. So, is uh, yeah. is yours? What is yours? An AccuMark? Is that what it is? I actually got it in a, in a Cooper. Oh, gotcha. One of their 92s, that 92 Backcountry, that super lightweight one. Yeah, sweet rifle. Yeah, I'll have to. Uh, Man, that that's the gun. So I'll ask you your opinion, because um, I, you know, same thing. I kind of grew up in a family, especially my grandpa, just a reloading nut, um, and so it was always inbred in me that like, oh no, you just anyone that's serious reloads. And yep. I, I think thirty, fifty years ago, that was pretty true because factory ammo, frankly, just sucked, you know. And now um, factory ammo is really good um, for the for the most part. Or you can find factory ammo that's really good yeah, at least, there's, right? There's there's good stuff and there's cheap stuff. Yeah, yeah. I shouldn't say that everything there is is great, yeah. but but there are there is higher quality stuff now. Um, yeah, it's at least available. Right. That rifle to me though scares me because it's um, you know, it's it's what you'd consider a hot rod, I guess. That's six five three hundred. Oh, um, for sure. And so d- doesn't that does that should that scare me when I'm reloading that? Um, or if I if I tried to reload that as far as um, you know, especially and and that the fact that it is, and then coupled with um, the fact that it's kind of a I don't want to use the phrase barrel burner because <laughs> I know it's just um, but but it's it's going to burn a barrel faster. And I've had guns where it takes me um, a couple hundred shots to dial in a load or whatever. And, you know, and so I don't want to waste those, you know, 200 of the 800 shots that barrel has, um, reloading, but I don't know what's your experience been. Um, I don't worry about it too much, you know, after you've got it figured out and dialed in, if it takes you 200 shots, how many shots are you to shoot through that rifle every single year? Yeah. I mean, if you want to go out and do some practice, I imagine you own one, at least one other rifle. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, do definitely you know take the time and sight it in and make sure it's dialed. But as far as you know, practicing shooting out to the distance that I that I shoot, I don't think it's necessary to to shoot the exact same rifle. You know, wind drift isn't as as important at the shorter distances. Where if somebody's shooting seven, eight hundred, a thousand yards, you know, shooting the rifle that you're familiar with and knowing what it's going to do in the wind is more important. Mm-hmm. But over the life of a rifle, if you shoot 30 rounds a year, yeah. would be quite a bit of shooting for most people. You know, 30 rounds a year, 20 years, you're going to shoot 600 rounds, which is probably going to be about the life of the barrel. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's you know that's that's the honest truth is you know um, I was talking to my buddy Corey who you also know, and uh, you know he just kept saying man like guys don't burn barrels out you know very very few guys actually burn barrels, um, and he's like do you know of anyone that's burned a barrel? I said well I don't know I don't I don't know of anyone I'm sure there's guys around me that have done it but um, yeah I know I, I I totally agree with you I think that. Um, yeah, it's just it, it it's a non-issue, you know, two two hundred shots yeah. even to and 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 hopefully it happens quicker than that. You know, you kind of find a load faster than that. But yeah, I mean, if if you're smart about the way you shoot it, you let it cool off and you're not rapid firing them through it. It'll it'll last longer. It's not it's it's not a gun that's built to go to a prairie dog town and <laughs> cook through a hundred rounds in a day. It's just it's it's a different animal, and you have to treat it this way. <laughs> well. You never seen how I shoot at mule deer in the backcountry. Um, so. Yeah, I've been in, I've been involved in a firefighter too. <laughs> yeah. um, what did you? So where are you at on that? Because I'm I'm super curious, just for selfish reasons. What have you ended up uh, loading on that? And what is that gun like? Um, the bullet the the bullet I found the shot I got to shoot the bass right now is a 140 grain burger, and I shot a bear with it this spring and. Yeah, the bullet did exactly what it was supposed to, what it's designed to do, but I don't know if it's what I want out of a bullet. I shot the bear, ended up having to shoot him twice. First one was about 200 yards, and the second one was maybe 100. And didn't get a pass through on either bullet, found what was left of the bullets when I was butchering the bear, and there were 20 or 30 grains of lead and jacket, kind of a little lump. Yeah, those those long range bullets are designed to come apart at lower speeds or open at lower speeds, and then at high speeds, that kind of range, they're going to come apart. It's just I'll probably end up tinkering with it some more and trying to find a different bullet that I I'll be happier with. Yeah, because that I mean that's a tough combination where you're kind of on the extreme of both. You're on the the low extreme of a of a of a bullet, and then you're on the extreme of a of a rifle there with a six five three hundred, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's just, it's, it's going too fast when it hits an animal out of that cartridge at that range. You know, if you shoot that same bullet at, at a bear at a thousand yards out of that same gun or 700 yards, it's slowed down enough where that bullet's going to perform a little bit better. Yeah. But at that range, it's, it's not designed to hold together for that. Yeah. Well, right now, my I, I have a range certified model, and so the advantage of that is it comes with a load that's you know basically been proven through that barrel that's going to hold the group. And so, um, unfortunately, it was the the least what I've what I've found to be the least uh, popular <laughs> for people to hold in the in their <laughs> store. So, because um, it was the 140 grain uh, Swift A frame, yeah. and that's that's definitely the least common one to hold so but but i think what's your opinion of that bullet is that a good um you have any problems with that or is that a good one yeah i like swift a frames they're they're a really they're a heavy duty bullet for what they are it's basically i don't want to say the same but a very similar design to a nozzle partition i think they're a little bit heavier duty mm -hmm. uh it seemed like they have a little bit thicker jackets hold together better than a little bit a little bit better than a partition um as far as bullet durability but they're definitely not a long range bullet and get the BC of a brick, I think, but for shorter range stuff, they're awesome. Yeah. 
Well, and that's and that's the only hiccup I have is you know I I kind of am hoping that that gun is a and and again when I say long range most guys are thinking fifteen hundred yards probably. Um, <laughs> that, that's not my that's that's out of my pay grade. Um, I'm more of like you know six to eight hundred yards is long range for me. So yeah, um, I'm I'm hoping that's a, a happy enough medium where that bullet would perform at that distance. What do you think? Yeah, I think it would. You're gonna have more drop with that wood with that one versus some of the other ones, but yeah. as long as you're dialing for it, it doesn't make that much difference really. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, man, I could rabbit hole with you all day. Just so many little gear things. And I, you just, um, what, uh, what else are we, let's see, tents, sleeping bag, your optics, what boots you like? Um, last two years I've run some La Sportivas when it's warm out, the Trango cubes. Is that I'm super uh, like, super happy with those? Is that like most of them that have the super, uh, you know, pretty rigid sole? Yeah, yeah. I've run stiff sole boots for quite a while. Yeah. Um, they're they're super lightweight, but they are still very. The sole is very rigid. A little more flex in the upper than I like, but they they fit my feet really really well. You're complaining that it has too much flex. Is that what you said? Uh, no, in the upper portion of the boot, like in the ankle, oh, there's gotcha. a little bit more flex than I would like. <laughs> I wish it had a little bit stiffer ankle support. Gotcha. Thought you were saying, man, the yeah, the toe of the boot it flexes too much. Oh, I need it <laughs> No, no, those ones are pretty good. What's your? Uh, what have you found your break-in uh, period, or or what does your break-in look like for those stiffer sold boots before you use them on a hunt? I'm I'm pretty much in a mirror round, so I mean I. I just go. I, I'll end up. I'll tape my heels for the first couple of weeks I wear them, and then I'm good. I don't know if I need to, but I just do it as a precaution anymore. It's like I just. I don't even know how many miles. It's like breaking in a a wild stallion. You're the guy that just jumps on it and runs it out, and uh... <laughs> yeah, just just hold on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of us is gonna break. One of us is gonna break one way or the other. <laughs> yeah, it's not gonna be me. Yeah, we. Uh, man, I, I. I ran those. I ran a boot that was super stiff sold um, for quite a while, and it just. It never agreed with my feet. Um, you know. I yep. anyway, and 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 it's funny because I again working in the same place you work. I've I've seen it, um, and it was you know there's there's plenty of guys out there that run them. Um, and I know guys that just, that I hunt with and stuff that, that run those super stiff sold boots and, and it, it's the perfect, con it's a perfect fit for them. You know, it works, uh, works extremely well. They don't have any problems with it, but. Yeah. I think I've bounced around. I've tried a lot of different boots until I found one. I was really, really happy with, and I've had a couple different models of Loa, several pairs of Canatrax and finally found this pair. And these, you know, I, I've had problems where boots were, they're awesome boots. They just don't fit my foot until you find the right one that fits your foot. And a stiff, especially in a stiff sole boot. I think it's, there's more punishment for not having the right fit with a stiff sole boot than there's a soft sole boot. Yeah. What, uh, generally speaking, and especially in your, where you work right now, what, what do you think is the biggest mistake that backcountry hunters make um, relative to gear? Um, I 
I think a lot of guys spend a lot of money on gear and then don't actually put it to the test. I think it's more of a, I think it's more the person than it is the gear. I think there's so much information out there on what works as far as gear, what other guys are using on gear that guys make pretty good decisions on gear anymore. And there's, there's so many options out there that are, and none of them are really bad options in some cases, but they don't, they don't push the limits of the gear. You know, they, they'll spend, you know, four or $500 on a tent. And then the first day it rains, they pack it up and go home <laughs> or they'll spend $2,000 on a set of full set of Sitka. And if it rains or snows, they're sitting in the truck waiting it out. It's just <laughs> not using the stuff. That's, that's so, what it's built for. That's so true. We're, we're right in the, the beginning i what i would i mean I, I know we've had the internet for quite a while but we're really just starting to mature as far as like the the information age i think um where man yeah. you can you can really find an honest to goodness review or you know a real good idea of what gear is going to hold up and what gear isn't and you know all that kind of stuff pretty easily nowadays you know Absolutely. And, and there's, it's like anything else on the internet. You got to weed through some BS, but there's some really good information out there. Yeah. My, my biggest, um, you know, just, just talking about where you, where you get your information from on gear, um, which isn't exactly what I was asking you, but, um, did a seminar a couple of times and, and my biggest thing on that was, uh, as far as like, you know, people's opinion on gear and what's going to work and what isn't is, you know, just make sure that you're, taking the advice or the the opinion from someone who is actually hunting like you are going to hunt or want to hunt um and, you know and 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 to be honest my my point there um i'll just be blunt is there's a lot of um you know nowadays with the social media influencers and you know uh, social media marketing and stuff like that there it's really easy to have someone that's got a big name have the perception of hunting hardcore and hunting backcountry and whatever without actually doing it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think we all know people that are on half a dozen pro staff, but they haven't killed anything in the last five years. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, to be honest, I almost mean the the guys, you know, the upper the upper level, um, that have almost been immortalized. Um, Oh, the guys are getting paid. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, paid to sell something. Yeah. And, and, and I shouldn't, you know, don't, don't get me wrong. Getting paid to represent yeah. a company doesn't mean that you don't understand, um, you know, or, or that you don't actually use the gear, but they're, they're just, you can just do a little bit of, um, you know, reverse engineering and say, well, is it, when's the last time I've seen that guy or girl actually in a backpack in the backcountry, roadless on public land, you know, or whatever, using that type yeah. of gear and, you know, packing, packing their own boned out bull elk, you know, eight miles, you know from the trail you know it's just anyway just just be careful what you uh don't believe everything you see you know all all that being said that we're in an information age don't believe everything that you see because yeah always be, always be a skeptic yeah yeah that's 
anyway, that's all I need to say about that. But yeah. <laughs> talk. Um, so got your boots. Um, what, what clothing system are you running? Uh, mine's kind of a mix. I've got a fair amount of first light stuff for base layers. Um, a lot of Sitka stuff for outerwear. Um, I still rock a fair amount of predator camo. Yes. Depending on the hunts I'm doing. So classic. Yeah, I've got, yeah, my uncle's worked for predator for ever. And oh, really? So I've kind of worn the stuff since I was, since I started hunting. So. Yeah. It's all, uh, man talking about, let, let's go on to another rant, huh? Um, let's do it. Camo patterns. It, to be honest, like <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like I, I use what I use. Um, you know, I'll be honest. I use first light pretty, pretty much exclusively. And I use it cause of the technical side of it, you know, I yeah, don't, uh, I don't, I really couldn't care less what, as long as they're not putting, um, you know, whatever pink plaid on it, I really don't care what pattern they put on it. And I, you know, I don't know if that, um, offends camouflage pattern companies or not. I don't really care. Um, but I use it for the technicality of it. You know, it, yeah. it wicks moisture and stuff like that, but those, those, uh, I don't know. What's, what's your opinion? Are you, are you, uh, yeah, I, You know, I I appreciate the technical side of things more than I do what it looks like. Mm-hmm. I, I during rifle season I hunt solid colors more so than I, more than camo. Um, even bow season, archery season, the last few years, I think I've shot the last three elk I was I've shot uh, wearing a just a tan long sleeve first light shirt. <laughs> <laughs> and it's if you're smart about the way you move and holding holding still. You, you get away with it. Yeah. I think, I don't know how many deer I've shot inside of 20 yards wearing blaze orange. It's if you sit still and you're smart, you, you can get plenty close without camouflage. <laughs> yeah. That's so true. Um, yeah. How many, how many deer did your dad and grandpa yeah. shoot wearing plaid and blue jeans? <laughs> blue jeans. And that does, I mean, we had a trailer camp trailer and that closet stayed plum full of all these different plaid shirts. I mean, that was yep. like, those were the hunt <laughs> shirts. Yeah, no, exactly. no face paint, no, uh, not even a camouflage hat. My dad just wears a cowboy hat, you know? Yep. <laughs> uh, but maybe not on a bow hunt. I, I shouldn't say that because he, he would, uh, he would camo up and face paint and all that on the bow hunt. But yeah, especially rifle hunting doesn't, uh, camo pattern yeah. doesn't matter, but. Um, all right. Well, that's kind of, I, I guess that's kind of the basics of your gear, you know, at least the top four five, six categories there. Um, yeah. I'm actually curious, you, you brought up your unlimited sheep tag. Um, and I know, I just know, you know, the basics about that, but talk about, um, that hunt and that experience that you've had on that. Yeah. So you want to hear about like the basics of what's going on yeah, with the hunt? Yeah. Kind of, kind of explain what that is for guys. Um, be, you know, that might not even have heard of that okay so there's there's five units in southern montana and along the uh western uh, excuse me the northern border of yellowstone park that it's basically an over-the-counter tag you have to apply but you're guar- if you put in first choice you're guaranteed to get a sheep tag it's a big horn ram tag um the ram has to be three-quarter curl and each unit has a quota and i think it's two rams for every single unit and then it closes on 48 hour notice once the quota is hit so as soon as you hit the quota 
you've got 48 hours and the season's over. And it is the hunter's responsibility to stay in communication to figure out if the quota is open or closed, which is either going to be, you know, I have a alarm in reach so I can text a friend to see if it's been filled or sat phone, or they will actually broadcast it on some of the AM radio stations in the southern part of the state. <laughs> so last, I had a tag last year was the first year hunting it. And I, I scouted my butt off and I think it was the ninth day scouting. I found my first sheep. Like you, lamb, anything. The first sheep I saw, it took me nine days to find the sheep. And 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 let let me just clarify because I know you well enough. Um, and I'm gonna hopefully not set myself up for failure here. Was that okay. scouting? But I I know the answer. Was that scouting? Um, like sitting in a truck with your spotting scope out the window, <laughs> or was that what type of scouting was that? Never left the truck. <laughs> no, I've, yeah, right. I probably, <laughs> I think I probably did 150 miles on foot in eight or nine days. Hmm. And it's a lot of walking, a lot of walking, a lot of walking and glass and getting up high. And it's the biggest, nastiest mountains we have in the state. Spinning from, from Montana, it's, it's really high stuff. It's pushing 10,000 feet and. Lots and lots of grizzly bears, not very many trails, and really, really steep. Uh, I, I scouted my butt off, finally found a ram early August. And September 15th is opening day, and it's either or. You can rifle hunt or bow hunt. I had a rifle. And I went in on, I think, the 10th or the 11th. I think it was the 10th. The morning of the 11th, I got up went up to my glass and spot trying to find this ram again and I spotted him and he hadn't moved half a mile from where I saw him in the summer. Sat on him all day, daylight to dark, season's not open yet. Get up the next day and do the same thing, sit on him daylight to dark. Get up the next day and watch him and middle of the day he moves. So this is like this is like what the thirteenth maybe? Yeah. Yep. So day and a half. Thirteenth. Yeah, so 13th. 13th, he moves like two miles cross country. Why? What do you like that time of year? Are they getting ready to rut or what's going on? No, no. Well, they rut late, don't they? Two de- they were late. Yeah, they're about the same time as deer. But with the in- opening day coming up, I imagine he could see the pack trail across the canyon and the line of horse after line of horses packing through, guys backpacking in. And Triggered. I imagine he could see people. And said, yeah, I'm out of here. So he was on a fairly exposed face where he was at. And he took off. And I followed him with the spotting scope and watched him. And he settled down in a little pocket of timber and some cliffs. And I repositioned for the evening across the canyon from him, probably two miles away. And watched him that evening. And he kind of hung out and fed. He was with two other rams. And the next morning, got up, boogied out to my new glass and spot. Sit there and watch him, and he's there in the morning. I'm like, perfect. So I go back. This is the day before opener. Pick up my camp, move camp a couple of miles, and I set up about a half a mile from him. And he's he's set he's up. definitely in the three quarter curl, I assume. <laughs> yeah, he's right. yeah he's pushed. He's scaring full curl. Okay. He's he's a nice ram. For the you're not going to kill a big sheep in these units. I'm not saying you're not going to kill, but 
most of the sheep that come out of there are like 150 type sheep is a good one. I set up camp, got camp set up, pack unloaded, loaded my pack with stuff to go up and glass for the evening. And this is the day before opener. And as I was getting ready to go, fog and the storm rolled in and started raining, snowing, fog, 50 yard visibility. So I sat in the tent all night, slept, got up in the morning, still snowing. So opening day, it socked in and dumping snow. This is middle of September, and I'm camped at you know, eight, 9,000 feet. So sit it out all day. Daylight too dark. It doesn't stop snowing. Okay. It's this opening day. Next day is Saturday, second day of the season. Get up in the morning. It's still snowing. And by now, we've got bottom of the valley. There's a foot and a half of wet snow on the ground. Get up, make breakfast, hang out, and watch it snow. Wait for it to clear. It's starting to lift a little bit around noon, kind of get little breaks where you'd see 200 yards. So it was getting better. So I make my way up to my glassing point and get a fire going, trying to stay warm and sat up there for five or six hours in the snow. And you kind of see across the valley to where I'd last seen the ram and waiting for it, waiting for it to clear. It finally clears at about three. And I'd glass this hillside a couple hundred times, and it's pretty open, a lot of cliffs and a little bit of timber, and just random glass over it one more time, and there's a ram standing there. And it was one of the uh, smaller rams that were with the ram I was after. So I glass and glass, get the spotting scope on them, and I can tell it's one of the same rams. And a couple minutes later, this other ram comes out. With all three of them hadn't moved 200 yards in two days. They just hunkered down down in that snow. Yep. Did the same thing everybody else was doing, just hunkered down in the snow and waited. (laughs) So I watched them for 15 or 20 minutes to see what they were going to do, and they just started feeding across a little bench. So I had to drop 700, 800 feet down to the bottom and then gain as much going back up the other side. I stripped down to a lot less clothes, threw everything, everything in my pack, and took off crash down to the bottom, start going up the other side, and I had a strip of timber that I could get to within about 400 yards of them. Got to 400 yards and fought my way to get there through the snow. And I was out of cover. I had a shale slide between me and them. And got set up, got a good range on him, lined up, set the, dialed the scope, squeezed the shot off, and... The rams disappeared up back uphill into the trees, and it didn't look like a hit. didn't sound like a hit. It sounded like a hit rock. Just that really hard, sharp crack when the bullet hit. Well, it took me about half an hour to cover the 400 yards to get to them. It was, yeah, nasty. And I get over there and start following tracks, and I can find just a little tiny bit of blood every now and then. I've got fresh snow, and it's heavy, wet snow, so it's easy tracking and i followed followed the uh, tracks for a while and a little bit of blood and ended up getting cliffed out about 500 yards later and was pretty much out of blood at that point and that was it i was yeah i was, was pretty crushed man um went back to the, went back to the tent loaded everything up and went home 
non-fatal hit you think obviously yeah for sure um i was actually flipping through instagram here a few weeks ago and found some pictures and saw a guy that was talking about his unlimited sheep hunt so i started looking at pictures of the ram he killed and it's the uh it's the same ram he got it yeah yep i i would have hats off to the guy he he went in there in november middle of november and killed the ram so they took snowmobiles in for long ways and then snowshoot up to the top to kill him so. so that quota obviously will stay open what the whole season will stay open months then um if that quota is not filled right right yeah this year the unit i was in closed in mid-november there's a couple of units they didn't they didn't even cl- fill the quota this year yeah do you think that's more lack of actual shooter sheep or just difficulty of the hunt Difficulty of the hunt. Yeah. You know, opening weekend, having a foot and a half of snow in that country, it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's bad stuff. Yeah. And then some of the units further east I had heard gotten more snow than where I was at. So why, why do you think what, maybe there's just an obvious answer, but why do you think they have these uh, unlimited cheap hunts where they just, it's a free for all basically? Give everybody an opportunity if they're, they're crazy enough to do it yeah. <laughs> and it's the country's big enough and rough enough that it can support it. I mean, they've had these, these hunts for, I think they started them back in the sixties. They've always had an unlimited sheep hunt down there. It It's, it's just, they're basically saying, you know what, we're going to take it. It's not that they're trying to eradicate the sheep or anything from that unit nope. or something. They're just saying, you know what, here, here you go. If you, you guys want sheep tags, um, we'll pick these five units. These are the, probably some of the most brutal units in the Western United States, if not the most brutal units, uh, physically. Um, there's definitely sheep in there, but there's not a ton of them have at it, you know, here, yep. here you go. And no one can say we didn't give you a sheep tag. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's, you know, and, and you hear people complain all the time about how long it takes to draw a sheep tag and, and you can say, well, technically you've had an opportunity to draw a tag every year, so <laughs> we don't want to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. That's kind of where I was at. It's like, I've got some friends that have you know, put in for sheep tags for 30 some years and never drawn. And I, I don't want to wait 30 years for a tag that may never come. So I'm going to go for it. I'm going to give it a try. I listened to a podcast. It's actually been a year or two now on that talking about that hunt. I can't even remember whose it was. Um, but I remember the, the average or the expected, um, you know, I don't know if his actual statistic or just the guy's opinion, but he said, plan on uh five years if you're gonna dive into that hunt and want to actually kill a sheep plan on it taking you on average five years and so i i think the fact that you um got as close as you did um on the very first year and the dedication you put into it says a lot about the type of uh, type of hunter that you are Uh, yeah i was just i was lucky to find a legal ram when i was scouting and you know, lucky that he stuck around. Just, no, you, you weren't you weren't lucky at all, man. Hundred and what do you say, hundred, hundred and fifty miles scouting over nine days or whatever. You weren't lucky. You uh you earned it. So I mean I, I know you didn't bring it home and that's a that's what you really, you know, kinda would have been the pinnacle, but no, that's trust me, that that's why I wanted you on the podcast. because um, there's guys like me that, you know, when I draw a really good tag I get it done. Um but I, I got a lot to learn uh, from guys like you that you know, can go on an unlimited sheep tag and put in 100, 150 miles and, and find a shooter ram and basically, you know, 
get, basically get it done in my opinion. Um, yeah, I had my, I had a chance. It's yeah, just yeah, more than I could ask for. Yeah, but that's awesome. What uh, did you have an experience with grizzlies? I actually never didn't see a single grizzly bear the entire time I was in there. <laughs> Everybody talks about how nasty and thick the grizzlies are, but I, I had no trouble. Yeah. Found sign of them. I just never saw one. Hell, you didn't. You probably didn't stop long enough to see him. <laughs> I, I po- oh, I posted up and did plenty of glass, and <laughs> hours and hours and hours, and no, I never, never bumped into one. Um, you mentioned the like the, you know, seeing the pack strings coming up the mountain. Are they coming up for that same exact hunt? Um, a lot of the guys had sheep tags, but if you get further south from where I was at, there's some units. There's uh, another, it turns into a different unit, and they actually have an early rifle season for elk in there. Oh, gotcha. And a lot of those guys were going in for that. So you can start, it's a general tag, and you can go in there and rifle hunt September 15th for elk and deer. Um, so I was just curious as far as that goes, was there, so was there a lot of, would you consider it a lot of pressure that you were seeing, or was it you were pretty much, aside from seeing some guys down in the canyons packing up, I mean, was there any? It's, I think it's pretty typical of general units in nasty country. You see a lot of traffic on the trails. Yeah. Yeah. Get a, yeah, get a get mile, off, mile or two off the trail. It pretty much yeah, goes there's away. There's nobody. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. How, I mean, I, you said the Ram that you found was uh, pushing a, a full curl, but. Um, he wasn't quite full, but he was, he was a good Ram. He was close. Um, yeah how uh how paranoid were you on that because that that would be i i know that i drew a uh and this is a little bit different but i drew a u a desert sheep u tag last year and uh man it was like because the problem with those is <laughs> don't shoot a young ram don't shoot a young ram you know the the young rams look almost identical uh yeah. horn, horn wise to the the mature females um and so i know i was just paranoid about that but i don't know what uh you know, what, what do they gauge on that? I mean, cause three quarters, like that's so full curl is yeah. obvious. Like it's kinda, three quarters is so arbitrary. Like it's what, kind of vague. It's actually, it's actually not too bad. So if you look the way they define it, the regs is if you can draw, if you're looking at the sheep from perfectly broadside, if you can draw a line from the, the front, the front of the horn, front of the horn through any portion of the eye and the horn crosses that. So basically if you take a line, from the front of the horn through the back corner of the eye. If you drew an imaginary line there, if the, the horn gets past that, he's a legal ram. So you're you're saying, are you saying starting at the front base of the skull? Yep. Front base of the horn, where the okay. any at any point of the horn. So they call right where it ends at the base. Okay, so basically you're looking sideways. That the front top, like right at the base of his nose, comes up and hits, and then you draw a line through the back of the eye. If it's going to intersect that uh, back, the back of that curl, the, the, the tip of the horn. Okay. Yeah. Yep. I, I was going to say there's, there's gotta be a definitive, like they can't just say three quarters. Cause that's like, yeah. what the heck, you know? But. Exactly. Yep. That's how they define it. They, and there's, they've got some pictures in the, in the regulations for it. Kind of show you what you're looking for. Gotcha. And I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that they, man, I, you would sure hope that a fishing game officer, like if, cause I assume you have to check those in. You do. Yeah. 
Man, you would sure hope that those guys, like, if you were off, you know, if you're off a half inch or something, they wouldn't run you for that. But who knows? I think if I don't, I don't want to speculate if they would or wouldn't. I would make hang sure that it is a legal <laughs> ram before you pull the trigger. Yeah, that's a good there's yeah. there's uh there's been a bunch of rams confiscated down there over the years because they weren't legal. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So it's one of those don't. Uh... If you're unsure, don't shoot it. Yeah. Man, that would be tough, though. On a, You know, you're on an unlimited sheep tag and how much work you put in to find one, and then you find one oh, that's, yeah. like, you, you think is, like, right on the borderline. <laughs> yep. Oh. Yep. But, all right. Well, Sam, um, <clears throat> I I appreciate you jumping on, man. It's, uh, like I said, you're one of those guys. I just, I was super looking forward to, to visiting with you. Um, you know, ho- hopefully... Um, hopefully we can get you back on and uh you know i i know you've got some some life changes we'll call them i, I don't mean that like a but you, you've just got some uh, a, a big change coming up um with your yeah. with your career um and we don't need to dive into it but but it would be a good um you know follow-up you know in six months or whatever get you back on and and kind Absolutely. of see how uh see how that's gone and We'll leave the people hanging. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, we still talk about that uh, that hunt where we bumped into each other as well. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, uh, you know, that's that's honestly where because um, I I kind of knew I knew of you um, through a, a mutual friend. Um, we'll call it uh, at Shields when I was working there, obviously, and and I, I think I maybe ran into you at a training too, like an like yep. archery university or something like that that they do, but. Yep. Um, but but really like I mean, you know you can meet someone, but when you when you run into someone in the backcountry, um, and 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 so the the story, uh, um, we were we were hunting a backcountry unit, and we'll just leave it at that. It doesn't matter where, but um, and and there was what I would consider a ceiling, you know, of of hundred and we'll say seventy five inch deer uh, generally. And, and did we, had we ran into you on the trail before that? Or did we just kind of see no. you? We just kind of saw you and knew that that was you, right? Like, I don't even know if we knew it was each other. Cause I, we were camped probably another mile past you guys. And well, then, uh, we knew when we saw you. So we, we were hunting, like you said, we were probably a mile or two apart most of the hunt. And I don't, we, I don't think we ran into each other. Uh, maybe you had seen us. I don't know. No, I I bumped into Corey. I didn't bump into you guys. Oh, okay. Okay. That's, that's why we knew it was you. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. And so anyway, there's Sam and we, you know, we're in this unit that we feel like, you know, this is our home court and, um, you know, we're ch- chasing our tails, trying to get these deer on the ground. And all of a sudden one day we're glassing and we look over and, um, here's this, this, uh, perfect stature of a man just packing this he's humping up out of the bottom with this he's you can tell it's a heavy pack or whatever and he's cresting over the ridge it was like it was like out of a you know a um just perfect picture of a backcountry mule deer hunt and he's humping this 180 inch deer (laughs) this huge mule deer out of the backcountry and we're just sitting there all of our jaws just like on the ground like what in the Heck. yeah it was it was an amazing hunt it was yeah it was a bit gnarly getting him out but what i was th- I had a friend with me and i was very thankful i did 
what what separates or what what do you think is the key what's what's the key to success on in a situation like that where you're you're going to go in and you're going to maximize what I'll what I'll say is maximizing a unit I mean what what is the key to maximizing a, a backcountry unit for whether it's whether it's deer or elk or sheep or whatever um I think it's a combination of patience and waiting for what you're after and then when it comes to the time of not being patient anymore being willing to do whatever it takes so just like that deer we'd we'd been in there a few days and i think it was the third or fourth day of the season and the guy i was with had killed a buck the second day of the season and he'd shot a it was a nice three-point deer wide heavy typical big three-point for that area and i told him i was going to be kind of picky and it was cold enough on top we could let the meat hang for a few days and be all right. So, you know, I sat through a day and didn't put a stock on. And the next day we spotted that deer and it was, it wasn't all that far as far as distance, but it was probably 2000 feet of vertical to get down to the deer and, you know, a fair amount of cliffs to negotiate and watch him bed down and come up with a plan for the stock and being confident that, you know, if, I get in there and the stock isn't right. I'm going to back out and try them again tomorrow and you know, get a little bit lucky and not get busted by all the other deer around. Go for it. You talk about backing out on the stock. Um, and that's, that's, that's interesting. Cause you, you kind of hear, um, you know, guys at that level say that I'm just curious, how many times have you actually had to back out on a stock or you get in a situation and, and you're, you're, you're kind of like, okay, I'm going. And then you're like, wait a minute this is like red flag. Something's not right here. Like how often yeah. do you say that happens? You know, it seems to happen a lot more if I brush a stock, if I take, you know, I take a half hour, 40 minutes, an hour, whatever I've got to plan the stock. It happens, seems to happen a lot less. If you, you take your time and take into account all the variables and look for every single other deer you can find or elk or whatever you're chasing. The more time you put into planning, the less often it happens. I don't, I don't do it a ton, but there's been occasions where I have. What What's the factor usually that do, when you get over, like, say you're looking at a buck from a thousand yards, and you say, "Okay, everything's good. I'm going to come here. I'm going to go there," and and you take off. What's What's probably the most common factor that des- I, decides that you're going to back out on a stock? Wind. Yeah. The wind is wrong, or wind is wrong, or with deer, other deer. Yeah. Something that you didn't see from yep. across the canyon. Yeah. And, and you yep. get over there and you're like, okay, this is, there's, this is a no win or this just isn't, this doesn't, this doesn't look right. Yep. Yep. It's, it's, it's rarely the buck that you spot that's going to blow you out. I mean, so sometimes, you know, but it's almost, <laughs> it's almost always that, that honorary old doe. Um, a doe or a, a two point or yeah, something frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that's so true. Yeah, I I had my first experience. It was actually in that same country um, last year, where I I did it. I finally backed out on a on a stock, and I say that because I'm proud of myself because I <laughs> I I'm learning. You know, I'm not at your level yet, and so I'm I'm learning. Um, because because this is how it usually goes. Is I just I decide I'm going on a stock, and I've already lost a thousand feet of vert, and there's a buck there, and I don't care. 
I'm going to make it happen. <laughs> and, and I finally, I finally did it. And, and it was exactly what you're saying. It was the wind, um, you know, and it was, and it was, it was stupid. It was dumb to even drop off the Canyon because guess what? It was, it was late in the evening and what do thermals do when there's no, you know, driving wind force that you're going to start dropping as the sun goes down. And, you know, I just wasn't thinking, but I got, I, I at least caught it early enough and I got down there and, uh, I got down there and got within, you know, maybe the 500 yards or whatever. And that it just, I could feel it just, you know, that light breeze on the back of your neck, um, as I'm dropping yep. off the ridge and just, whoa, whoa, whoa. And that, I said, that sinking feeling yep. like, oh, this is not going to end well. Yep. And, and, and luckily I, I backed out and, uh, that, and I say that luckily because that, um, so that the buck that I ended up killing on that hunt was in that group. And, uh, and I ended up, I think I ended up killing him the next day. Um, so anyway, I, I was proud of myself, but I'm, I'm still learning that, you know, like you said, step one is don't go on the stock to begin with, or if you do make sure you prepare it out. And then step two is have the maturity to, you know, to get in the situation and say, Hey man, like, I'm not going to lose my head here. You know, this is, I can still think, think about things while, while I'm all excited about this, you know, buck that's down there. So yeah, yeah. I, I think that's really good advice. You've almost always got more time. Yeah. Be patient. Yeah. I mean, where, where are they going to go? You know, unless there's exactly like you said, unless it's an orange army and you know that someone else is creeping up over the ridge behind him, you know, or there's guys coming like most of the time in the back country, like, there's, there's nobody, you know, you're just, you're just up there and that deer, he's going to, as long as you don't blow him out, he's going to wake up. Um, and he's going to be in that same spot in the morning or the next day or whatever. So. Yep. And that stuff is hard enough to get to, and it's far enough in that there's not a lot of traffic up there. So yeah. if you, if you don't blow those deer out, they're not going anywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that man, that what a, what an awesome buck that was too. We just anyway from from then on, I was just like, gosh dang man. And so I I started kind of asking, uh, I started asking around, and you know we had a we had a couple mutual friends, and I'm like, this guy like, who's this guy pulling these bucks out of our home court down here? Like, oh, that's that's this that's Sam, you know, like Sam, who's Sam? Like, oh Sam, yeah, no, he's 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 hardcore man, and. Uh, and then, you know, I started researching and, you know, you had, I think had been up in Montana, uh, you know, for a year or two and yep. up there, you guys talk about the real quick about the tag opportunities that you guys have up there. So we get over the counter general elk and deer every year. Um, antelope is a draw, but deer and elk are over the counter tags, over the counter bear tags. You can hunt bear is actually, you can hunt the entire state. Um, elk tag is good for about 90% of the state. Um, deer tag, 90% of the state, you can hunt on a general tag. Mm -hmm. So you get a ton of opportunity. Um, some of the, the best places to kill really big stuff are the limited draw areas, but right. there's some awesome opportunity as far as the over the counter stuff. Of the years that you've been there in Montana and, and, uh, what percentage of those, what I'm getting at is how often when you have all three of those tags, meaning antelope, deer, and elk, how, how often are you filling all three of them? Um, most years. <laughs> yeah. You're being, hum years, you're I being think. humble. I doubt there's been a year. <laughs> Come on. I think I've eaten, I think I've eaten two elk tags 
and then one or one or two deer tags is about it in those seasons did you have a chance to take something and just passed because it wasn't what you were after or I made yeah there's some years i made bad shots i I hit and lost an elk one year that should have been a slam dunk just i got rattled (laughs) sent sent a bad arrow that very very killable distance and lost one but and then there's other years i passed on some stuff yeah well here i've yeah i've passed a bunch of deer and just waiting for a big one yeah no you're you're the real deal man and uh those i mean you know you can say there's a lot of opportunity up there but those are still just over the counter basically over the counter type hunts and so yeah i feel lucky to have you know have the opportunities you have out here growing up where i did in wisconsin everything is pretty much everything is private land and it's it's small blocks of private land a two or three hundred acre farm is a lot of ground to tromp around on where i get out here and it's you know if i'm dumb enough to walk 20 miles in i can <laughs> it's just i i really really appreciate just being able to go yeah awesome man <clears throat> well we're gonna have you back on we're gonna circle back on uh and and kind of touch on what we were talking about earlier. And so I appreciate you coming on. Um, l- let me run you through what we call these little fire round of questions. I, I'm actually, you know, I've done this, like I said, 38 episodes now, and I've actually never asked or had anyone oppose these, but I'm, I'm actually curious from the listeners um, if you guys like these or <laughs> if you want me to change them or, <laughs> Um, I, I just, they're just random questions. I didn't even get anyone's input or anything. I just, I was like, Oh, what are some, this or that type questions? And so I threw them together, but I'm actually curious if people have, um, other questions or we want to change them. I mean, this is, you know, on the, on the one hand, this is my podcast and I don't care, um, what people (laughs) want, you know, and I'll be, I'm always upfront about that. But on the other hand, like, I do, you know, and, and if someone has, I, I want people's input and, uh, and, and it's on the other hand, it's the listeners podcast. And so, um, you know, because I, I don't have an agenda here. And so if someone, uh, you know, writes in and says, Hey, you should start asking this question. Like, let's do it. You know, this is, this is like the experimental podcast for backcountry hunting. I don't care. Um, I like it. Yeah. So anyway, uh, until then you're getting the, the cliche fire around. So, um, Elk, mule deer, or antelope? Mule deer. Mule deer. Not even a question. No, no. No, they're a lot less work to pack out than elk are. What, what is it, though, about mule deer? Like, it, like, explain that in a sentence or two. You know, I think it's a challenge, especially living in Montana. It's so hard with our season structure. Most of the mature bucks get killed off, or they get killed off before they're mature, and it's so hard to find a big mature buck that they like the challenge of it. Whereas elk has always seemed a little easier to me. Uh, it's yeah, it's yeah, the challenge of finding that one special buck. Mechanical or fixed blade? Mechanical. What do you shoot? Uh, I've shot Rage Hypodermics the last few years. Yeah. I think I think ten or fifteen years ago, mechanicals had their issues. I think now they're uh, they're starting to figure it out. I've I've had great luck with them. Yeah. What's your? Uh, we kind of talked rifle calibers, but what's your? If you had to choose one backcountry rifle caliber, what would you be packing? I 
funny because I don't actually own one. Probably a 300 Win Mag. <laughs> What's your favorite state to hunt? Or if, or if you only had one state to hunt, what would it be? Wyoming. <laughs> didn't even talk Wyoming. You, you Are you, uh, I didn't even know, do you apply down there? Do you go? I uh, I had a tag same year that uh, you and your brother did. Oh, yeah. Yep. Well, that's yeah, actually, a... uh, actually, uh, <laughs> watch your brother put a stock on the buck. Oh, did you? When he was in <laughs> yeah. there on the archery? Yeah. 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 Jeez. Well, that's the next podcast. We're going to talk all about that Wyoming hunt. What, uh, what is your dream hunt? Grizzly bear, brown bear in Alaska. Yep. It's like the ultimate, right? Yeah. What, uh, what's your uh, favorite backcountry food item or maybe a unique backcountry food item that you pack? Oh, I'm a fat kid at heart. So on all my backpacking trips, I take a small bottle of bacon grease and add it to mountain houses for extra calories. A bottle of bacon grease? <laughs> oh, yeah. Totally extra bad. calories, man. You never have enough. <laughs> That's the last thing that I would ever expect you to just say. Oh, right it's now. so good. You ever had? You ever put bacon on something and thought, man, this tastes worse? No, no. I mean, you, you, you go. got me. Yeah. I've got no argument against <laughs> it. I'm just, so what does that bottle look like? What do you, what do you put it it's in? It's just one of those little mini now jeans. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just heat up the bacon grease, dump it in there and yeah, give it a little squirt on the breakfast mountain house or beef stroganoff. And oh good to go. You're not packing the actual bacon. Like you're not like frying the bacon up and packing it no. in, in a zip. No, just, just the grease. <laughs> <laughs> No man on planet Earth is going to argue with that. That's the best answer yeah, I've ever I, had. I may die of a heart attack by 40, but yeah. I'm going to enjoy it while I'm here. Awesome. Um, well, the back is the place to do it because you're going to burn those calories up before they ever get to your oh. arteries. So, um, what? Uh, where can people find you? Um, I'm on Facebook and Instagram. Okay. I'm just Sam McKeith on both of them. Yeah, Sam McKeith. Um, are you ever like, I don't see you being this guy, but maybe I'm wrong. Like, do you ever go to the expos and like walk around and anything no. like that? No. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. With my job and in and around hordes and hordes of people all day. So <laughs> I get days off and I typically disappear. Yeah. You're either working or probably hunting or working on some hunting equipment or something at home. Yeah. Every now and then I get desperate in the summertime and I'll go fishing. <laughs> trout trout fishing or what do you do i'd mostly walleye fishing anymore oh gotcha. if i get really desperate i'll fish trout but i try not to <laughs> stoop to that level uh, i hope my brother listens to this that'd be perfect <laughs> all right man um i got one one more question that i ask everybody but first i want to give you a credit i want to give you uh first of all i try to give everyone credit for just spending an hour and 20 minutes of your life with me so I appreciate that, but um, I also want to give you credit for just uh, being someone that I uh, I was so jealous of when you pulled that buck out of out of our home <laughs> turf there. Um, just just goes to show. I mean, you know, we had hunted that for years and years, and and then you kind of showed us how to get it done, and and then just man, being a guy that uh, you know really puts the work in um, and and does backcountry hunting the right way. Um, you know, you don't, uh, like you said, there's no challenge, uh, too, too small or whatever, or too big. And, 
and you're not, you know, you're not afraid of a little work and, and you just get after it and, and your results speak for themselves. So if anyone, uh, you know, wants to scroll through your Instagram feed, they can see what I'm talking about. So, but anyway, yeah. appreciate you coming on and, uh, and thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. No problem. Last question. And then, uh, we'll, we'll get you off here, but what, uh, why do you, why do you hunt the backcountry? It just that that feeling that you know you get it back in there and it's it's something that almost no one has ever seen in a lot of in a lot of cases you get in some of that big nasty country where there's there's no roads there's no trails and the only way to get there is hard work and then the reward that comes and feels so much sweeter when you realize how much work you put into something hey everybody thank you for listening to the finding backcountry podcast If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe and mention it to your friends. But the best thing you can do, leave a rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. For notes and links to this and other episodes, please visit FindingBackCountry.com.